0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager, and we're going to be talking about a great combination of things today. Isolation tanks, dolphins, and psychedelics. Yeah, the creature from the Black Lagoon will actually
1: show up. Uh, Cold War era... Anti espionage, um, weird science—it's—it's it's quite a package.
0: You couldn't make this up. Like if you wrote a fictional account of a guy like John C. Lilly, it would seem absurd. But he, this is a life he led. Yeah, indeed. I mean, even the fictionalized accounts of the man—I
1: feel that yeah. they don't quite capture the 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 weirdness and strangeness and uh, just mind expanding. Awesomeness of his actual story.
0: They don't know. So, but before we roll right in, because I think we should really just dive into the deep end—no pun mm-hmm. intended—with with John C. Lilly. Uh, we just want to remind our audience that uh you know we don't just do the podcast. Stuff to blow your mind is a multimedia conglomerate, and uh, you can visit us at stufftoblowyourmind.com, where you can find blog posts by us. Uh, the podcast is obviously there, of course, but for every podcast episode, we add related content. So, in case you're about learning more, uh, there's places that you can go. And then we also do videos as well. That's right. And hey, wherever you listen
1: to us, be it iTunes or uh, Spotify or any of the various uh, wonderful platforms out there, uh, you can support the show by simply giving us a positive rating and a positive review if the platform allows that kind of interaction.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I'll say uh, is before we get into Lily is don't forget to follow us on social media. If you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on Tumblr, we're on all those platforms as Blow the mind, and we don't only post our own stuff, but we curate lots of weird, sciencey, bizarre, oddity type stuff that we find throughout the day as we're doing our research. That's right. So let's talk about Lily. First of all, why are we covering him? Because Lily, for people who don't know. Comes up frequently, I'd say in the last year of doing the show, he's come up at least four or five times. Yeah. And in, in
1: past episodes, I'm I know that we have had at least three episodes that have dealt with him, at least in small
0: portions. Right. Yeah. You guys did a dolphin episode. You and Julie did a dolphin yep. episode. And then there was the what was it? The, the like kind of crazy rock star life of scientists. Yeah. Yeah. We did
1: one that was just kind of a, a sampler platter of different uh, real life scientists that had sort of a weird uh, side to them. But. Lilly is one of those individuals, first of all, that, as we've been saying, deserves a deeper dive. He deserves yeah. a, a closer look because just he was in, into too many things. He really lived too many lives to just try and condense it to a quick uh, little segment about his psychedelic dolphin research, which right. is what most people may think of yeah. when we mention John C.
0: Lilly. This is one of those moments, too, where I feel like uh, the podcast format is really at an advantage here because – uh, in our case, you know, like lots of the stuff that I've read about Lily, like you said, either focuses on one aspect of his work or another. Right. It's mm-hmm. like it's either like the isolation tanks or it's just the dolphins. But th- I feel like we have the opportunity here to, like, gather a lot of different resources, come together and kind of try to piece it all together and figure out this like epic figure somehow. And yeah. especially the like, like you said too, like um, for those of you who don't know, there's been two feature films, at least two that were uh made based on Lily as a character. The first was day of the dolphin with George C. Scott. And then the second one is, uh, altered states, of course, which is, uh, you know, we're huge fans of here. And it stars William Hurt, you know, of course, as this lily kind of figure who mm-hmm. takes acid in isolation tanks and then finds himself uh, devolving basically, right? Into various forms of proto-humanity.
1: Yeah. So he's, he's, he's a figure that has, that casts a, a large shadow across our pop popular culture. And I think that can also be a stumbling block because you think of, you might think of that older, uh, John C. Lilly, kind of a, a post, uh, hippie nut job with a, right. With a coonskin cap talking about expanded consciousness yeah. and perhaps being something of a pariah, uh, to individuals who are working in legitimate scientific areas that he was once a part of.
0: Yeah, there were certainly people who did not embrace Mm -hmm. the direction that he went in towards the latter part of his career. But So this is what's interesting to me about him, especially like once we got into, I knew the surface level stuff, but going back and looking at his early life and how he started off and how kind of standardized his scientific career was to begin with, it's really fascinating to see where he goes and the the kind of journey that he Takes everybody on,
1: yeah, indeed. I mean, this is a guy that was trained in medicine, psychoanalysis, uh, biophysics, um, and he he went from being published as a researcher in scientific journals to writing his own books about spirituality and the self. And
0: one of the things that's really important about Lily, I think, to just like our general culture today, it's it's hard to think of this because it's for for my entire life it's been this way, but. People didn't used to think of dolphins as being intelligent mammals that uh, were cute and cuddly, and that we should uh, try to keep from being killed in the ocean, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you go back far
1: enough, there are various myths that involve humans turning into dolphins or vice versa. But generally speaking, before the 1950s, dolphins were a pest to fishermen. They were some. They were yeah. a, a fatty creature you might render down for various products. But nobody was giving a lot of thought to what
0: they were thinking, or indeed what their consciousness might consist of. Yeah, and so f- almost every account that I read about Lily traces his research with dolphins to how we treat dolphins today. Yes. Uh, it, sp- e- even to, you know, good or bad, however you think of it, of like theme parks of like sea world and things like that. But like, uh, the interaction that human beings have with dolphins or, or uh, other male, uh, mammals in the water, like whales, uh, you know, in, in that kind of a setting, you know, um, he he really changed the way that we considered them as i guess partners on earth is how he would probably put it right yeah it's hard to imagine
1: where we'd be right now uh considering dolphin intelligence without Lily. i mean i th- right. i mean i think we would definitely get to this point where we we recognize the intelligence of the dolphin uh and and even engage in discussions about its potential personhood yeah but uh would we have gotten there as quickly would we have uh,
0: would we have gotten there with as much uh, uh, media attention and it all really came down to him wanting to map human consciousness Mm -hmm. you know uh, the, the dolphin work the isolation tanks taking LSD all of it really boiled back to his medical background and just trying to figure out like the the physicality of human consciousness where it was yeah he uh in, in his uh um,
1: and later on certainly uh, by by the 1970s he would often talk about uh the province of the
0: mind uh which we reference in the the title to this episode yeah so here's the Lily quote that comes from you know what we what we base the title of the episode from he says in the province of the mind what one believes to be true is true or becomes true with certain limits to be found experientially and experimentally these limbs are further beliefs to be transcended in the mind there are no no limits that was in 1972 so mm-hmm. this was this was a uh, post dolphin work going into LSD work I'm assuming
1: yeah and I think it, it this is a it's a great quote because it, it mentions this idea of the province of the mind something that he all of his work throughout his life as you mentioned yeah seems to be questing for and then it also touches on this idea of subjective truth which becomes an increasingly important part of his work and at
0: times a a definite flaw in his scientific work right yeah and it's especially important to consider too i mean like we say his whole life here i read an account that when he was 16 years old he was Mm -hmm. first starting to think about this in journals and things like that that he was working on like as a kid this was something that concerned lily up until his death
1: yeah so let's uh let's let's back up a bit then and just uh Deal with the Lily timeline let's talk about where he came from and uh, and take listeners. Uh, and ourselves on a journey through his life, or as much of it as we can uh, actually digest in, yeah. uh, in about an hour's time.
0: Yeah, and I'll f- I- I'll say this too before we get into it. I found that there were a lot of differing accounts too. I mean, he was alive at just the right moment in time where it was it wasn't like we couldn't log his life as we do now with social media. You right. know what I mean? And there's like some differing accounts. So, like I said, uh, when he's 16 years old, he supposedly wrote this essay. He was born in 1915 in Saint Paul, Minnesota. Uh, and And this is the specific uh a question that was quoted as being the title of his essay: "How can the mind render itself sufficiently objective to study itself that 's pretty heady for a sixteen year old i don 't think yeah. I had thoughts like that until much later. Yeah, that's that's a that that's he was thinking big for for that age. Really? Yeah. Unless that's some like revisionist history on his part. But uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is my impression from the readings is that Lily came from a very wealthy family, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his father, it sounds like, wanted him to become a banker. But Lily wanted to be a scientist. And so eventually his father kind of came around and supported him going to school to study science, but also backed him financially in some of his research after school as well. Yeah, that's the that's the sense that I get from
1: uh, some of the uh, resources we were looking at. Uh and I do have to to mention that as far as we know there's not a good like solid concise biography of Lily out there. Not yet. Hopefully somebody's working on it. There are some very fine resources that we used for this episode and we'll uh,
0: cite those as we go. Yeah. This is a book slash movie mm-hmm. dying to be made. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I think that uh, like in the same way that um, characters like Reich that we've talked about on the show before Shulgin just make for great like potential fictionalizations. Uh, and I think, you know, I just learned this after we recorded the Reich episode. There's a feature film coming out about Reich. Oh great. yeah. Yeah, uh, when I was searching for artwork for it, photos from the uh, premiere came out.
1: All right, so Lily uh, goes on and gets his uh, physics degree from Caltech in 1938, receives a, a doctorate in medicine from the University of Pennsylvania in 1942, and as a faculty member, he studies uh, biophysics and psychoanalysis at the University of Pennsylvania and is primarily interested
0: in the physical structures of the brain uh, where the, the conscious self might be found. So that's pretty interesting uh, in that, like, he got his he got his doctorate in medicine. Right. And then he continues to do research or, or take classes as well as he's a faculty member. Like, my understanding was the psychoanalysis stuff wasn't quite yet in the field mm-hmm. when he was in school. But he's still dabbling and, and learning more and adding everything to his resume.
1: Yeah, from an early point, we're seeing an, a, a guy who has this goal in mind, this mystery that he wants to crack. And he's going to throw everything he has at it. Yeah. And he's going to throw – he's going to utilize – what whatever tools he can draw on, be they uh, disciplines, pharmaceuticals,
0: technologies. We see this throughout his life. Yeah. And in in some cases, it's also like where he's going to get the support from. Right. I think all of us who, yeah. who have like large scale creative endeavors that we're trying to push and can't find necessarily the financial backing end up making compromises. And uh, come World War II, Lily ends up doing research uh mainly it sounds like on the physiology of high altitude flying uh specifically for the air force and uh he was inventing different devices to measure gas gas pressure for those purposes um, and this is one of the first times apparently that he used himself as a guinea pig uh lily which he would go on to do quite yeah. a bit later in his career in fact i think he had sort of a uh like an ethos surrounding that right that i i can't remember who it was but i read that he um he he took this from another like kind of big thinker scientist who basically said, like, if you're not willing to experiment on yourself, then you shouldn't be willing to experiment on other human beings. Uh, so And this seems to be the case here where he participated in an experiment where he was studying the effects of explosive decompression on pilots at high altitudes. Uh, and by all accounts that I read, this was something that could have killed him. Huh. But he went about and did it anyways, and this is in the uh, uh, 30s, going into the 40s. All right. So after the war,
1: we're getting into the the post World War II area. We're getting into the 1950s, a time uh, increasingly defined by Cold War paranoia. Uh, it's during this area that Lilly turns to neuroscience, which is a logical next step in yeah. his quest for consciousness, right? And he's motivated in a large part by pioneering brain surgeon uh, uh, Wilder Penfield at this point. Uh, In in short, what he ends up doing is he applies electronic engineering to the monitoring and mapping of the central nervous system. Again, drawing on the best technology available at the time to try and crack this nut of consciousness.
0: Yeah, and what I had read, this is one of the first instances of his father... Uh, sorry, instances of his father funding him. His father uh, helped him pay for the design of something he called the Bavatron, which was a device for recording the impulses from within a rabbit's brain, and they would project these impulses up onto like a television screen as waves. Um, so the Bavatron included an array of sensors that were. This is something we're going to come back to over and over again with Lily. Basically, putting electrodes on the surface of the brain of different animals and mm-hmm. or human beings. Uh, and in 1951 he published a paper that showed how to display these patterns in such a way uh projecting brain electrical activity on a television like screen uh and i i recently spent some time in the hospital uh i had a family member in in icu and i thought wow like think of the just the standard hospital machinery we have that are like measuring and showing us things like oxygen levels and and uh uh breathing and 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 brain activity you know lily was one of the pioneers in that you can thank him for that this is a guy who who really did like impact our understanding of medicine and of thought and uh, you know d- despite where he went down <laughs> yeah. further in his career he really did have like some contributions yeah down or or out or out yeah know, however you yeah, want to look at it yeah absolutely from here
1: he moves on to the National Institutes of Mental Health or NIM uh, and this is an area where he, he begins to get into a lot of interesting and, and at times kind of creepy
0: work. Yeah. And I read an interesting thing that said that one of the reasons why he specifically went for this research position with NIM was that it gave him access to both the National Institute of Neurological Diseases, because that would give him access to resources about the physical brain. But it also gave him access to the National Institute of Mental Health, which focused on the mind. And he mm-hmm. really wanted to combine the two. Uh, and he experimented on living brains with all these different techniques he developed. So, uh, you know, we've got the rabbits, we talked about that, but then he moved on to monkeys. His goal was to stimulate monkey brains without causing trauma or damage to their brain tissue. So he was one of the first scientists to locate uh, this is a monkey brain, not a human brain, uh, obviously, but he located their pain and pleasure centers and his work there allowed him to map their neural networks and to link sensory events, muscle movement and other behaviors related to the activity in their brain. This is going to be important later on when we get into dolphins. Yeah. And
1: this is uh, my understanding. Some it's pretty invasive uh, surgery at this point in experimentation. Yep. And he spends essentially a decade working on it here. Uh again conducting invasive uh, uh vivisections uh of the uh, the cranium and this is where things get into uh you know, some creepier territory um again he's laser focused on his goal but he is in the ploy of nim he's working in right. the in the time of, uh, of of 1950s cold war paranoia uh it's us versus the soviets there's there're all these fears of, of of mind control brainwashing uh, uh all sorts of of strange counter espionage techniques mm. And uh, according to uh, D. Graham Burnett's uh, excellent paper, A Mind in Water, which was published in Orion magazine and is available online. We'll include a link to it on the landing page. He says, Lily later claimed not to care for this sort of thing. But in his prime as a government employee, he had a high level security clearance. J. Edgar Hoover knew him by name and was actively involved in research into brainwashing or reprogramming, as it was then called among the cognoscenti. Yeah. Sleep deprivation and operant controlled. OK, of, of animals with wires implanted in the pain centers of their gray matter, unquote.
0: Wow. So this gets back to when we were talking about we three on uh, mm-hmm. the animal uh, weaponry thing. So, yeah, I can imagine with all the things we learned from that episode of like people stuffing bats into bombs and trying to figure out ways to use bees to attack people that, uh of course, they would be looking at ways to try to stimulate their brains as yeah. well. right? And, and, and the, the goal the here, brain. yeah,
1: the goal here was not just animals, but humans in a, an unpublished paper of Lilly's titled Special Considerations of Modified Human Agents as Reconnaissance and Intelligence Devices. I really don't have to go much further than yeah. that. I just by like the title. <laughs> but he talked about uh, such things as the, quote, covert and relatively safe implantation of electrodes into the human brain uh, for the push-button control of the totality of motivation and of consciousness.
0: Huh, I wonder how much Lily's sort of, like, beginning work, set the stage for brain computer interface work, you know, that's being studied today, because that's obviously mm-hmm. like a big field of, um, of inquiry right
1: now. Yeah. I mean, to, to whatever extent his, uh, his ideas here were actually, um, applicable, uh, given that the technology of the time and yeah. he's certainly foreshadowing where the
0: technology would go. He's certainly yeah. dreaming in the, in the direction, uh, that we're, that we're still headed. So one of the things that I was trying to figure out while we were doing the research was whether or not these were pain-free methods. And I believe later in his career, he definitely wanted to get to a point, right? Like I mentioned earlier that, Mm -hmm. you know, his goal was not to cause trauma in the monkeys and not to damage their brain tissue. But I imagine it wasn't comfortable having these electrodes stuck in their brains, right?
1: Yeah. My understanding, it also depended on what he was working on. So um, you could use uh, anesthetics on certain animals. Yeah. But, uh, as we'll discuss, there are other animals that, that simply stop breathing if you put them under an anesthetic. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's always, there there's a very interesting, like, despite his, uh, profound respect for dolphins later on, there's some weird stuff that goes on with the dolphin research as well, too, in terms of like kind of treating them humanely.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, and certainly at this point in his career, he has, he's, he's a very unsentimental guy. Yeah. He's laser focused on this consciousness, enigma, uh. But he's not necessarily um, he's not he's certainly not the sort of hippie uh, mythic figure, counterculture figure we see later on. Quite the opposite. This is a guy who's on first name basis with J. Edgar Hoover. He's very (laughs) much a part of the establishment and kind of a scary part of the establishment.
0: Yeah. And he is going to do what needs to be done to get the results. Right. So
1: it's during this creepy period, mm. uh, that Lily first learns from an oceanographer colleague that the largest brains are found in small tooth whales. Intrigued, he sets out to implant electrodes in the brains of captive dolphins at Florida's marine studios. Now, this place still exists uh, today under the name uh, Marineland of Florida. Perhaps okay. some of our listeners have been there and can speak to it, but... At the time, they specialized in B-movies. Really? Of particular note, they shot The Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954 here, and Revenge of the Creature uh, from 1955.
0: Wow. So John C. Lilly was, like, peripherally involved with, like, universal horror, specifically The Creature from the Black Lagoon. I would... I think you might have mentioned this before the podcast. How cool would it be for there to be a, like a creature of the La- uh, Black Lagoon remake that like mixes in some of the John C. Lily ideas of, you know, both dolphin human communication, but also uh, isolation tanks and hallucinogenics.
1: Yeah. I mean, and in fact, we'll get back to the creature from the Black Lagoon in a minute, because the connection between Lily and the creature yeah. is even closer than you might be thinking right oh, now. OK, yeah. cool. Cool. OK, so he he engages in this work right he's uh, he's he's putting the electrodes on the dolphin's brains one of the problems here as i mentioned is that dolphins stop breathing when they're under anesthetic mm. and this has to do with the conscious nature of dolphin respiration so mm-hmm. it's it's not as as much of a you know a, a subconscious uh, activity as, as as it is for us surface dwellers right uh, so it's it's pretty rough work uh, dolphins are dying during the experiments but one of them before it passes, makes a series of sounds, and Lily has this really this epiphany uh, he he feel he's listening to the sound that this dolphin is making. It sounds as if they're attempting to mimic his voice, they're attempting to mimic the voice of the other researchers in the room and and, and it's just this, this eureka moment for him. Yeah. He's been searching for, for consciousness, searching for, uh, for some sort of, you know, ultimately connection to another mind.
0: And he feels as if he has glimpsed it. So this is sort of a good segue, I guess, then from his dolphin or actually this isn't even the really scratching the surface of his dolphin research, right? Right. This is where he first sort of dabbles in it. Yeah. This is
1: where, yeah, he dabbles in it and, and the light bulb goes off and he realizes. I have to work with these dolphins, everything else. I'm going to, I'm just going to walk away from because this, this is where I
0: need to be. And then in order to facilitate this type of study, he develops, he invents the isolation tank, which most of us know nowadays, right? Because it's a fairly popularized thing. I was first familiar with it from Altered States. That was the first time I'd ever uh-huh. heard of it. I think I probably saw Altered States when I was like 19 or 20 or something like that. But uh, just last year, maybe two years ago, my wife for my birthday got me a, um, a gift card to go visit an isolation tank center here in Atlanta. Oh,
1: yeah. I think they... we've likely been to the same place. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You've done it as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, yeah, you can probably find a a, a float uh, place in your uh, your area and you can try it out for yourself. But but essentially, it is a, a chamber, a dark chamber filled with very buoyant salt water. Yeah. You go in there. You uh, you know maybe you put on some goggles, maybe you're wearing a bathing suit, maybe not. Yeah. And you're just floating there in the silence. Uh, you you all you're hearing is just the sound of the water, the sound
0: of your your own heartbeat. Uh, and, uh, and because you're floating, you, know, you, you, don't, float, you don't you don't really sense any touch, right. It's, Mm -hmm. which is unusual for us. We're always like kind of bound to something by gravity, but this allows you to kind of just float there. Um, the darkness takes away your eyesight for the most part. The one I was in kind of, I don't know about you, but it had like a little bit of a transparency to it. So natural daylight kind of came in. Um, and then there was, what was the other, Oh, they gave me earplugs. Did you get earplugs?
1: I may have gotten earplugs. I can't remember. Okay. Now, I do remember seeing lights eventually because I think I was in yeah. darkness. And yeah. uh, I also have to say that the, the <laughs> warmness of the water is tends to be calibrated so
0: that... It's about human body temperature, right?
1: Yeah, so that it's, in a way, the barriers of your body are no longer as obvious. So mm-hmm. it's about isolating the the mind. And, and yeah. apparently, like, the idea for this came out of Lily's work at NIM Again, think back to the counter-espionage work. Uh, How do you break down a potential spy? How do you get break into their mind and interact with their consciousness? Well, what if you were to put a scary latex mask over their face so they can't see anything, Mm -hmm. submerge them in this uh, buoyant tank of salt water, and just rob them of their senses without actually harming them? So really, it was a form of psychological uh, torture that was being devised, and uh, and it was apparently pretty traumatic for some of the individuals who tested it out. But, of course, Lily tested it out as well. Yep. And he saw the
0: positive potential for the kind of, of inward focus that it allowed. Yeah, I mean, the basic idea here was he wanted to test whether the brain would actually shut down if there was no stimuli received, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's really interesting. Again, so, like, the figure that he becomes, this kind of hippie, psychedelic guru figure, you trace back his history, and it's, like, ultimately connected to this kind of m- movement of torture and interrogation right i mean like people i don't know that they're necessarily using isolation tanks but sensory deprivation is very much a thing that we do nowadays we the united states uh military and government when we're trying to get information out of uh, uh you know somebody that that might have something that's going to you know potentially affect a citizen or or uh, uh an operation overseas
1: oh yeah or even just dishing out essentially punishment on individuals
0: that are yeah. uh, in, in solitary confinement. Yeah, it, it, and it's this is fascinating to me too because um this is right around it's a little bit earlier but around the same time that Michel Foucault is really starting to look into sort of the philosophy of discipline and punishment. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious if these two guys knew about each other uh and if they even or if they interacted too, you know. Yeah, indeed.
1: So Lily, yeah, really gets into the the idea of the isolation tank, and this is this is kind of happening uh, in the background to the dolphin stuff uh, we we just mentioned, the yeah. beginnings of the dolphin stuff. Um, I, I'm going to actually just read a, a, a one quote from him and have you read another one okay. uh, because I think Lily really uh, captures what he saw in the tank, uh, what he saw in the tank's potential for the human mind. He said, all the average person has to do is get into the tank in the darkness and silence and float around until he realizes he is programming everything that is happening inside his head. You are free of the physical world at that point and anything can happen inside your head because everything is governed by the laws of thought rather than the laws of the external
0: world. So you can go to the limits of your conceptions. And so this is a good moment, I think, for us to sort of back up for the listener, for you out there listening. If you've never done this and you've never seen it depicted or read about it, um, people oftentimes report that during their experience in these tanks, they see colorful images, they have memories flash by, they kind of have like waking dreams, uh, and there's even... There's an, some people report an experience of levels of consciousness where they feel they're in contact with other intelligent beings sort of outside of them, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's essentially a really meditative space. So I only floated once. I did not get that kind of experience. I yeah, understand that one needs to do it many times to get used to it. But, uh, but I have had experiences in meditation where I have, I have seen things and felt things that, uh, that line up to a certain extent with this kind of, uh, you know, subjective experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's possible to. So this is another instance that I, um, where the, like the, the reporting seems to be a little bit, uh, varied for me. Mm -hmm. I I read that it's possible that he actually started dabbling in this before any of the dolphin research. Maybe it was more official later on. Yeah, no, I I believe you're right on that. Okay. Because he apparently considered dolphins and other, uh, Water mammals because of the idea of consciousness that existed in the state of flotation. Right. Uh, and he, it, it somehow brought that up. But uh, so here's another thing we were talking about, how you bring the temperature to about the same as the body, uh, the body's temperature. Uh, apparently at one point while Lily was experimenting on himself, uh, he's trying to bring the temperature to the right thing and he fell into a coma. That was another thing that I read huh. and I mean, it must not have been that long or, or, or serious, but I didn't, I, I, I don't quite know how that would happen even, especially given my experience in an isolation tank, but this was in one of the, the papers I read. He also speculated. Now this is the beginning of the John C. Lily. Everybody came to know and love. <laughs> That in a tank, a person, meaning a man, could orgasm without ejaculating. Hmm. So another thing that comes out of this, outside of his like speculations on uh, orgasms and ejaculation, is uh, that he also figured out that even in the tank, that the pure mental state that he was looking to achieve wasn't necessarily possible. Because it even eliminating all sensory stimulation, it just that kind of isolation in the tank wasn't achieving that. Right. Um, this is probably a good opportunity for me to read that second quote you mentioned. So this is from Lily wrote lots of books on his own, outside of his work with the government, and that weren't published really by, I I wouldn't call them peer-reviewed in any sense, right? Right. And this is one of them, I believe it's called, I love this title, Tanks for the Memories, Flotation Tank Talks. Yeah, and this is from 95, (laughs) so this is definitely later. This is after, yeah. So, okay, he says... At the highest level of Satori from which people return, the point of consciousness becomes a surface or a solid which extends throughout the whole known universe. This used to be called fusion with the universal mind or God. In more modern terms, you have done a mathematical transformation in which your center of consciousness has ceased to be a traveling point and has become a surface or solid of consciousness. It was in this state that I experienced myself, as melded and intertwined with hundreds of billions of other beings in a thin sheet of consciousness that was distributed around the galaxy, a membrane. Now, this definitely touches on some of his wackier theories that we're going to get into later.
1: Yeah, it it touches on some more, yeah, the mystical ideas that he uh, explores in his work. I I do have to say, though, with ultimately what he's talking about here and ultimately with with the experience of uh, of meditation but yeah. also with the the float tank a lot of what's happening is the shutdown of what's called the default mode network right uh, actually we understand it uh, more now as a, a series of uh of uh, of interconnected uh, resting state networks involved in vision, hearing, movement, attention, and memory, but you can think of it as just that that me voice. What Eckhart Tolle calls the egoic mind, this sort of me-centered narrative that's always running in the background of our head, mm. uh, whether we are conscious of it or not. Ta- you know, worrying about the past, worrying about the future, and if you can shut that off, then you're in this point of clarity and nowness, and you can actually explore
0: thoughts about yourself and the world around you in ways that you're often crippled from. Yeah. I mean, this is uh certainly like w- what I try to get out of, you know, with yoga and meditation in some mm-hmm. situations. But but also, I got to say, after doing the isolation tank thing, I want one of those in my home. <laughs> and maybe maybe if you did it too much, it would it would sort of defeat the purpose for uh achieving that sort of s- lack of self right uh, yeah. of, of thinking about everything else around you i
1: don't know i've never heard anyone
0: say they do it too much they're yeah <laughs> they're always the people who are really into it are really if i could just it. like after every day coming home just be, hop into one of those for mm-hmm. 30 minutes that would be great i i read an account uh about um there was a woman in the 1980s who was apparently like a, I don't know that I would call her a student of Lily's, but she was somebody who followed his work closely. Uh-huh. And she uh, was one of the first people to open like a, a, a business around isolation tanks. And she had one in her home on the 25th floor of a Manhattan skyscraper. And uh, she, I think at the time she charged people like $25 per hour. And one of her main clients was a television executive who would, he, he said something along the lines of how, like after every flight home back to Manhattan, after, like, you know, doing a, a bunch of television sales type stuff, he would before even going home, go to her place and hop into one of these isolation tanks. It's kind of fascinating that like a guy like that saw the value and just kind of slowing everything down.
1: Yeah. I mean, he leads a bit leads a busy life, so it would make sense. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's, at this point, we're going to return back to dolphins. I feel like we, we've, we've set everything up to, con- to continue Lily's journey. Uh, we're going to around 1958. Uh, this is when Lily presents a paper before the American Psychiatric Association, and he makes some rather dramatic claims about the intelligence and the linguistic abilities of the bottlenose dolphins specifically. Uh, Now that the evidence that he cites is apparent is arguably scant and, and anecdotal, but it resonated pretty strongly, and it resonated with the right people. So soon you had uh, prestigious federal research awards rolling in, and he uses these funds to build a dedicated dolphin laboratory on St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin
0: Islands, the Communication Research Institute, or CRI. Yeah, and the most fascinating thing that you added to these notes is that at its height, this institute, under Lilly's guidance, was receiving... Half a million dollars a year in grant money, yeah, that's it exploded crazy, yeah. especially when you consider what half a million dollars was worth back then, right that's nuts uh that that he was getting that much support uh and it sounds like during this time. He, I guess he had a home in Miami. Sounded like he'd become fairly acclimated to Florida and liked it a lot there. But he had the lab in St. Thomas. Uh, and there was this really interesting 1960 Time Magazine piece that I was able to pull. And it's this kind of fascinating, like, feature piece on, on him. And they describe him as a deep chested suntanned neurophysiologist. I like that. Uh, it, that, that must be where the idea for the George C. Scott character and the <laughs> dolphin came from, but. Uh At the time that they came to visit him, Time Magazine, that is, uh, he was working on an elaborate system of jetties and pools at the center. Uh, and the idea was that he was trying to um, learn about dolphin sonar for the Navy. They were paying for the expenses of this construction, uh, and the idea was that they... W- they felt that dolphin sonar was better than their own capabilities at the time. So they wanted to figure out a way to reverse engineer it and uh, mimic it.
1: Yes, uh, the, the Navy was definitely one of the interested parties that was won over uh,
0: by his uh, his arguments for dolphin intelligence and, yeah. and dolphin abilities. Well, I mean, he had some some convincing evidence. Like you said, it wasn't all like... Uh, perfect, but when he he must have been a very charismatic guy, I'm imagining. Oh, because, yes, yeah. Because when he, he gives these presentations, people just fall head over heels for it. I mean, you hear it in his voice and you'll actually hear yeah. his voice at the end of this podcast. Uh, like, one of the things that I think he convinced the Navy with was by dissecting dolphin brains. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this earlier. They're bigger than human brains, obviously, but they also have as complicated a cerebral cortex. Uh, and so this is when he starts planting electrodes in the dolphin brains kind of along the same lines of what we were talking about with the monkeys earlier, uh, trying to stimulate their pleasure centers specifically with electricity. And this is the weirdest like this grossed me out this quote uh from the time magazine article he said when he first stimulated their pleasure centers with electrodes the muscles around their blowhole smiled <laughs> that is the weirdest like it, i don't know why it just squicks me out like the idea of a little smile forming <laughs> around and the but the, the like dolphins got like its head peeled you know its scalp peeled back with all these electrodes wired into it Whatever the case, the dolphins loved it. In fact, there was an apparatus that he used to sort of train them with it. They could give themselves the electrical jolt. And they did it so much that they became addicted to it. Uh, and this is this is so this is a different story from what I um, you, you mentioned earlier. I in this 1960 piece, they say this is where he first encountered the dolphins mimicking human speech. He says that apparently, and maybe he's just you know uh, bsing them during an interview or something like right. that. But he says uh, an apparatus broke down one day at the St. Thomas uh, laboratory, and he had left a tape recorder running, and he heard a Donald Duck like voice on the tape recorder later on that was imitating him, saying the words three hundred and twenty three over and over again, and then he he also said that the dolphins imitated the buzz of a transformer and the rattle of a movie camera that we're in. The, I, I'm assuming in the same laboratory space.
1: Yeah. So there's this feeling that he's getting here that, that not only is he reaching out to them to make communication, yeah. but they are reaching out to us. And he, he has to meet them in the middle. He has to find a way to make this
0: connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, And and towards that end, he starts, like, documenting what he thinks is dolphin language. And, you know, I think that it's fairly well documented at this point that we know that there is such a thing. Uh, He learned one phrase in dolphin language that he reported back to time in 1960, and it was what he called their mayday distress call. Mm -hmm. And he describes it as sounding like a wolf whistling, (laughs) uh, which I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily a description that immediately calls a sound to my mind, but maybe Lily was encountering more wolves than I do on a daily basis. (laughs) Uh, But he he specifically noted that this happened when he put a paralyzed dolphin in a pool. So one thing I want to stop and ask is, why would you do that? He puts this paralyzed dolphin in the pool, right? The dolphin sinks to the bottom and immediately starts crying out with this mayday distress call. Well, Lily says the other dolphins all came to its rescue and pushed it back to the surface so that it could continue breathing. Hmm. So maybe he, he speculated that that was going to happen. And this was just kind of a test of their, uh I guess, like bond together. Yeah. But uh, it just again, I was like, wow, like. Uh, it, despite his fascination and love for these animals, he's willing to, like, let one potentially drown. Yeah, and I mean, part of this, uh, I think, is that he's he's certainly working, you know, within
1: the, the scientific atmosphere of the day and yeah. the attitude towards uh, test animals of the day. And you, know, you can probably chalk a bit of it up, up to his... uh you know his his laser focused uh, vision, which we certainly saw during his NIM days, yeah, and uh, continues to a certain extent uh, with the dolphins. It it sounds from from the research I was reading that his his work with the dolphins definitely got less invasive. He got further and further away from the uh, sort of the the harder stuff of the NIM days, but uh, but he was still at times sort of accused of of having an occasional cavalier attitude towards uh, the, 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 test dolphins. Yeah.
0: I think though, that that sort of phases out over time, yeah. you know? Um, but not a year later after this time thing, that's when he published his like big dolphin book, right?
1: Yes. Uh, 1961 man and dolphin adventures of a new scientific frontier. And this book just really becomes a big deal. Not only researchers, not only uh, scientists and academics, but just the general public are eating this book up. And I'm just going to read you a quick sample from it so you can get just an idea of some of the things he's talking about in this book. He's documenting his work with dolphins thus far, but he's also talking about where he thinks this work can take us. He said, quote, Eventually it may be possible for humans to speak with another species. I have come to this conclusion after careful consideration of evidence gained through my research experiments with dolphins. If new scientific developments are to be made in this direction, however certain changes in our basic orientation and philosophy will be necessary Mm -hmm. so he's talking about just a game-changing development here he's talking about he he discusses us reaching the point where we we teach dolphins to speak english to speak english and uh, to to even have to create a chair for them on the united nations Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the this is talking about finding an alien intelligence here on our planet and, uh, and, and communing with them, um, c- communicating with them and actually inviting them
0: into our rule of the world. And he's clearly going into his own soul searching, too, if we sort yeah. of like compare this with the history of his life. You know, I mean, I think he, he had like a very personal reason for feeling so strongly about this, given the way that he had experimented on these animals previously. He goes from that to thinking that they should be part of the United Nations. Uh, and, and, uh, by the sixties, he's, this is when he's publishing academic papers galore showing that dolphins can mimic all kinds of human speech patterns by clicking, squeaking and rasping. Uh, and he even talked, uh, there's this British, I got the impression from the article I read that this British anthropologist was a big deal at the time. His name was Gregory Bateson Mm -hmm. and the U S Navy and, and him and Lily were all kind of influenced by the research that was going on at the center and lily pitched human dolphin communication to nasa at the time saying that if they were going to encounter aliens this is the perfect way for them to sort of come up with a model of communication standards with an alien intelligence
1: yeah to and it makes sense right if you're attempting to communicate with a uh if a as a different yet equal form of consciousness yeah this could conceivably be a, an experiment in
0: that. And you can see now where Day of the Dolphin came yes. from. I don't know what year that came out. I want to say it was early 70s maybe. But uh if you've never seen the movie before, it involves the George C. Scott as John C. Lilly. Oh, they both had C's in the middle. Character teaching dolphins to speak English. They can speak English. And I believe it's on behalf of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they say things like, Fa loves Pa, right? Like they oh, yeah, because he's Pa. He's Pa, and, and I think he names them all things that rhyme with Pa because it's easier for them to pronounce or whatever. Huh. It's kind of a silly movie, but it's also a little bit touching in a way.
1: So, yeah, the, the book is a huge success. It inspires yeah. these movies. It's The idea just spells like spreads like wildfire. And this was a period, again, the 50s and 60s, during which fascination with the underwater world is really taking off. This mm. is a time of, you know, scuba is really, uh, really... Exploding. Uh, uh, Jacques Cousteau is uh, is making a big name for himself. Yeah, it's the the time of Sea Hunt, and in 1963, of course, you see uh, the television show Flipper. Oh yeah, a mainstream television show about an intelligent dolphin that communicates with humans. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is where we come back to our connections to <laughs> the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh yeah, hit me with it. Okay. Yeah, so. I kind of had forgotten this, but that TV series Flipper yeah. was based on a 1963 film of the same name. Okay. A film co-created by Raku Browning. Okay. okay. Raku Browning uh, worked at Marine Studios, which we mentioned right. earlier. The yeah. place where, where Lily initially went down to study dolphins. And, uh, Browning actually portrayed the creature from the Black Lagoon in the first two films. Oh. So Lily is actually- He was the guy
0: wearing the rubber suit? Yeah, he was the guy in the rubber suit oh. in the first two creature
1: films. Wow, okay. And, uh, and again, he co-created Flipper, and Lily is actually thanked in the credits to the, the 1963 film Flipper, so. That's nuts.
0: Yeah. Wow, okay. Well, uh, yeah, and it, it, it uh, also makes me think of- God, the film version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was made around that time too, probably, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know the specific date on that, but yeah, there is that fascination with sort of undersea adventure.
1: Yeah, it's opening up to us in ways that it just had not been previously available. And so we're, we're fascinated with this new world down there. And then to, yeah. to, to also have this potential revelation laid on our plate that there is an intelligence down there, yeah. uh, more
0: or less on par with our own. I wonder what John C. Lilly thought of the abyss. I don't know. That would have been interesting, hmm. huh? Yeah, that's probably, in a way, that's a very Lily
1: movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, studies at the center. Continue uh, again. Lily's approach gradually moves away from the sort of the creepy world of Nim, his Nim work, and into less invasive techniques. He abandons the use of electrodes and uh, instead attempts to essentially meld minds with the dolphins to understand the shape of their consciousness. Um, he turns increasingly to the flotation tank in an attempt to to achieve this. Okay. He pipes in hydrophone recordings of their sounds, and eventually, too,
0: he starts uh, using LSD. And this is where it's all coming together right yeah like it's, they seem like very disparate things when you say dolphins isolation tanks and lsd but he's combining all of these things together yeah and at the time it's legal he's
1: able to get it through his uh, his connections uh, his clearance he's getting it totally on the board and uh Beginning in 1964, he also is injecting it into the dolphins to see what kind of effect it will, it will have.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? And this was pretty
1: standard <laughs> for the time. This was a time when there were a lot of LSD experiments going on and we were mm. putting LSD into the bodies of various animals yeah. and test subjects to see how they responded. Uh, and apparently they did not really respond to LSD, which he was kind of disappointed with. But he kept taking it. He kept uh, going of into the... Of course. <laughs> yeah. To see if he could, he could
0: understand their mind. Mind, you know? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I read when researching him, and I, I hadn't really realized this. Do you do you remember a video game called Echo the Dolphin? Yeah, I do. I, I vaguely remember it. I didn't play it. I, I talked to Joe about it, our co-host, mm-hmm. and, and he did play it. Uh, and apparently the whole game was centered around Lily, his research and his sort of philosophy. Yeah, and I had no idea.
1: It apparently gets really psychedelic as it continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only ever like played like the first level. So I have a very yeah. surface level understanding of Echo the Dolphin. I think
0: it's like something Joe said. It was something to the the effect that like there's even like an an alien sort of overmind that causes the events on Earth that make Echo the Dolphin have to try to, you know, go through this gamut of psychedelic levels in order to save the world that's cool yeah
1: so at CRI we continue to see him doing what he's always done he's using the best technology various uh methodologies in an attempt to achieve his uh, his goal here so for instance he uses state-of-the-art code-breaking computers in an attempt to crack the code of dolphin vocalization patterns and uh as uh, as Bruce Clark points out in his uh, Communication Plus One uh, paper from 2014, John Lilly, the mind of the dolphin, and communication out of bounds, he says Lilly mobilized the best available tools a cutting-edge array of cybernetic concepts in pursuit of his his breakthrough communication with dolphins he employed quote information theory bound up with first-order cybernetics and operated with the uh, heuristic com- computational metaphors alongside the actual computers of his era
0: so that actually speaks to my my uh, question from earlier about brain computer interfaces mm-hmm. it sounds like he did have quite a bit of influence on BCI.
1: Yeah, it's, it sounds like he did. Yeah, he, he was, you know, it, basically any area he applied himself to, mm-hmm. he managed to influence that discipline, wow. uh, sometimes in a positive direction, sometimes in a negative direction as well, as mm-hmm. we'll discuss. But but in all of this, too, we're getting into this problem of, of projection, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you mean like actual vocal projection? No, no, no. Actual like projecting. Uh, well, maybe to a certain extent, but also one, you know, projecting your consciousness onto another creature. Oh, okay, Remember? okay. Um, as Clark points out in his paper, projection short circuits a proper understanding of what others are thinking or meaning to convey when they make a communi- communicative offer. So that, in mm-hmm. projection, goes it's a problem when we just try and communicate with each other. Oh, yeah. Like I'm not yeah. just commun I'm not communicating solely with you. I'm communicating with. A version of you I have in my mind, yeah. my expectations of you, and then the kind of
0: feedback you provide as well. It's the inherent problem of of human communication, yeah. Right, and and through a series of uh, feedback and feed forward, we try to clear up like various psychological noise that gets in the middle there of our understanding of what one another are saying. But yeah, it's it's kind of like. The human dilemma. Right. Is that like we're we're never going to fully be able to at least, you know, with just our voices uh, communicate what's going on inside our head to one another. Yeah. Lily really wanted to get past that.
1: Yeah. And but one of the problems, of course, is that he's he, despite his scientific background and all of the, the vigor he's throwing into this, he seems to always be working with the certainty that communication can truly be established. And that not only is he reaching out, but they're reaching out to us. He said, uh, quote, we must keep the working hypothesis in mind that they are highly intelligent and are just as interested in communicating with us as we are with them. So, yeah. you know, that's a potential stumbling block to your your efforts here because you, you already have it firmly established in your mind that this can be done, that this connection is there to be made. Yeah, I mean, and the, again, the intelligence of dolphins isn't in doubt, but to work with that kind of certainty, uh, with with the kind of certainty that they reflect our desire to communicate as well, that's problematic.
0: Yeah, and certainly I can imagine where that is where he starts to have stumbling blocks with funders like – uh, the Navy for instance, or mm-hmm. the Air Force, or just any, like, even NIM, right? Like, when you start postulating that your test subjects are uh, on an equal playing field with humanity and should be treated as such, that's going to be immediately problematic for them, right? Because it's outside of their world understanding, but it also doesn't fit their agenda.
1: Yeah, and, and word of these experiments and uh, some of his methods and ideas, they're leaking out. He has some researchers that are leaving him and working exclusively for the Navy, uh, perhaps whispering about his uh, his excessive use of the uh, isolation uh, <laughs> tank. Maybe, uh, yeah. Perhaps they even know something about the LSD. And they're definitely talking about the flooded dolphin cohabitation apartment that becomes uh, a major uh, project toward the end of CRI. Wait, uh, so this is, uh, I
0: actually, I don't know about this particularly, but I know that he pitched an idea that basically there needed to be some kind of living space that humans and dolphins could coexist within to communicate. Is this his attempt at that?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, and a lot of credit has to go to uh, scientist Margaret uh, How lovett who was actually the woman who lived with the dolphins and she, uh, she later wrote a book. There were a number of articles that came out, uh, about her experience. There's a great Guardian article actually titled The Dolphin Who Loved Me. Okay. And, um, she, comes up to the Lily with the idea like she's already uh, researching dolphins so she's drawn to his activities here and uh, according to her in the Guardian piece she says maybe it was because I was living so close to the lab it just seemed so simple why let the water get in the way so i said to John Lily i want to plaster everything and fill this place with water i want to live here
0: huh so you so, what she have a scuba suit on or was it no. just it just was a, a Shallow enough that she could wade around in it. Basically, they waterproofed uh,
1: this whole living area. They made a like a floodable apartment. Okay, so that she could live there with the dolphin. Oh, for months. Uh, eventually, I think they talked about it being a three month period, but I, it ended up being a six month period where wow. she was living with this dolphin, the handpicked dolphin named Peter, uh, in an attempt. To teach him English, she was going to teach him to speak English. Okay. And the idea here, and that Lily, uh, you know, bought into too, was that she would be there just constantly as this kind of mother figure that okay. they would have this chance to, to, to bond in a in a way that human and dolphin had
0: not previously. And I'm assuming that like she must have approached this like linguistic effort, I guess, like using the same basis for which we teach young humans language, right?
1: Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah, okay. very much. It was like a, an adult human attempting to teach a child human huh. how to speak. Okay. Um, with the, some added complications, um, that end up being important later on in that they help to, to scandalize the work here. Right. Uh, but dolphins are pretty, can be pretty sexual creatures. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I've
0: heard tons <laughs> of stories. Yeah, sure. this is
1: probably where a lot of people are familiar with this story. Okay. Because uh, she would occasionally have to, uh, uh, help relieve, help dispense Peter of his sexual urges, let's say, in oh. order to keep the work going. OK, and that's she says that's the way she approached it, approaching it, and not from a sexual, uh, you know, vantage point. But it was this is a part of how Peter behaves as a dolphin. Uh-huh. And we need to
0: just sort of get that out of the way so we can continue working on language. OK, well, yeah, I could see why that would be quite scandalous. It's one thing to posit that a dolphin is on a sort of uh, equal identity status, individualistic status with a human being. It's another thing to start engaging with them, what people would consider bestiality.
1: Yeah, you get into a, a weird area here where you have to sort of explain yourself out of that, yeah. or attempt to explain yourself out of that to yeah your your backers. Or uh, by 1975, actually, Hustler magazine comes out uh, with a with an article about it, <laughs> that and probably they didn't help. <laughs> oh yeah, they completely scandalized uh, Lovett it in it and the experiment. They had some sort of a provocative illustration and just yeah. made it sound like like Lovett and Lily were just engaged in a you know a, a, a pan species free for all there or something, weird. which criticisms of this experiment aside you know clearly wasn't the point they yeah, were yeah. they were trying to teach this creature to speak english they were trying to to bridge this gap between the species and uh, it but it did get into some pretty weird
0: areas this sounds like another like we should add this to our our little document of ideas this sounds like a great thing that we should cover for a future episode is like how much animal sexuality gets in the way of human animal experimentation uh and and like this can't be the first time or only time that's happened. Yeah, or the
1: last. Right. So by autumn of 1966, Lily is increasingly more interested in LSD research than the ongoing dolphin research uh you know you could say that he's probably spent more time in the tank with the LSD the LSD becomes the thing that is holding his interest and seems to be the the next logical
0: place for his interest and consciousness to really focus yeah and to keep it in perspective he's he's kind of getting up to sort sort of retirement age at this point i would imagine right yeah i mean i should say so
1: and uh and so it's at this point just as 6 months of cohabitation with peter are coming to an end Funding dries up at CRI, at CRI, and its closure is announced. Um, and they didn't even have a peer-reviewed paper out yet. Uh, again, this comes uh, on the, the back of rumors that are spreading about the experiments at CRI. Apparently, a visiting board of grant examiners also came and ended up giving just a scathing review of the operation. Yeah, And
0: and Lilly charges that the Navy researchers effectively sabotaged him in all of this. And, you know, maybe they did. Yeah. And there's that sort of, like, this is a question that I had along, like, basically the whole uh journey for Lily is like, where's the money coming from? Right. Mm -hmm. Like he obviously has that point where he's working very closely with the government and the military. And then he gets into this phase where they're co-funding stuff, but he's also got private resources, possibly even from his family. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can imagine that if they're like, Coming by to take a tour or something like that, they're probably a little bit horrified. Well, it seems
1: to be one of those cases where the establishment, if mm-hmm. you will, were certainly fine funding Lily as long as his obsessions matched up with, with, with their goals and with right. their interests. Yeah. But as his obsession, uh, drifted,
0: um, out of sync with theirs, they stepped away from him. Well, yeah, it's fascinating, but it gets back to what we talked about in the animals as weapons episode, right? Like mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, that's where the money comes for this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So CRI is uh, just completely taken apart. Uh, the dolphins are uh, most of the dolphins are apparently released, uh, though. Uh, Peter apparently, unfortunately, dies uh, in captivity later on. Lily told Love it that Peter died uh, via suicide, that uh, mm-hmm. since dolphins have to consciously breathe, mm-hmm. that if a dolphin is is Significantly upset, it may just simply shut down and stop breathing, and that is allegedly and, what happened. And that Peter. it
0: was upset by uh, the severing of its bond with Lovett.
1: Perhaps that's wow. what that's what Lovett. Uh, that's what Lovett says in, uh, in, in in her book and in the interviews. Yeah.
0: See, so this is a little bit different from what I had read, and this is by Lily's own account. Later on, he sort of defiantly goes on later on to say, like he in the face of the navy and everybody else he purposely let all the dolphins go uh and he even said to the point he said well they were finished reprogramming me so mm-hmm. uh he he you know obviously like went to the uh far into the metaphor where the dolphins were performing the experiment on him he wasn't experimenting on them right and that they chose to let him go
1: yes indeed and uh you know at at this point where we really reached the the point where uh, Lily begins to fall out of favor with a lot of folks, certainly by mm-hmm. the time that uh, Hustler magazine uh, article comes out in 75. Uh, it, as uh, pointed out in that Orion magazine uh, piece of mind in the water that I mentioned earlier, uh, Lily went on to just be widely reviled by professional dolphin researchers and, and working scientists uh, have for some time tended to, to, to dismiss him as just a lunatic, you know, mm-hmm. as this uh, hippie nut job. And you can understand that, right? I mean, you're trying to do this yeah. serious professional work, and his figure is sort of looming in in, the, in your peripheral vision the whole time. People are perhaps bringing him up. His he's he's tarnished your 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 work and your passions to a certain extent yeah. uh, by his approach to tackling
0: them. Well, especially knowing how competitive and sort of vicious, unfortunately, that like academic and mm-hmm. uh, research uh, competition can kind of go yeah, I'm not surprised at all that sort of like the next generation of dolphin researchers turned on him. Uh, although it, you know, it also does sound like he wasn't exactly producing, uh, I guess like documented results, right? The kind of things right. that were, that that were being looked for both for the funding, but also to justify, you know, what he was doing. Exactly. Well, I, I also heard that, uh, and I'm I'm curious if this is still true. This is from around the time, uh, Right before he died, apparently, uh, the, the research station was going to be converted into a luxury condo living center that was called Dolphin Cove. Ooh. Yeah. So I, I wonder if Dolphin Cove is still there, uh, St. Thomas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Curious.
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear from if you can go there visit about it. About
0: I wonder if the underwater apartment is still there. You pay $300 <laughs> a night to stay and, uh, there's no dolphin. You just, you know, you just walk sleep around the on water, the water. Bed underwater. <laughs> yeah. So okay, this is really like the final, I guess, stage of Lily's uh research career, as it were. And he mm-hmm. kind of goes whole hog into the LSD field, right? Right. And
1: this is pretty much the the path he continues for the rest of his life, really. This is where yeah. this is where Lily truly becomes the the uh the coonskin cap wearing
0: uh psychonaut. Uh, a yeah. counterculture mythic figure. This is when he gets his membership card into the psychedelic Avengers All right, that we've yes. been talking about on, on our episodes for quite for some certain, time. He's certain. officially a part of the team now. And I've seen photos of him hanging out with uh, Timothy Leary and Allen Ginsberg. Yeah, during this stage, he
1: he apparently continues uh, a certain degree of uh, of dolphin research. Uh, some of it is uh more is on the scientific side, like the use of musical tones. Mm-hmm. Some of it is more far more <laughs> mystical, such as the looking into telepathy. Uh, but uh, and it's and the, the dolphin continues to be uh, kind of a a mascot for him and for his work. So even though the uh, the CRI uh, center is gone, yeah. the, the dolphin still remains an important part of Lily's life. Uh, but, of course, so does LSD and the, the use of LSD and other uh, psychoactive agents to... Uh, still crack that nut of consciousness in human existence and uh, and, and reach that uh, providence of the
0: mind. And w- one of my understandings is that, like, once LSD became illegal, he sort of moved into other psychotropics, specifically ketamine was one mm-hmm. that he used a lot um, and and wrote about a lot as well.
1: Yes, indeed. And and if his writings are any, in any indication, Uh, and he wrote a lot about his uh, experiences using uh, LSD. Like, the times he used it, he really used it. Like, he went in whole hog. He had access, legitimate access, to uh, pharmaceutical-grade LSD-25
0: and really attempted to just break through to the other side with it. And this was one of the actual like primary resources you were able to get a hold of for this episode, right? One of his books specifically about these experiences, what's it called? It's called programming and metaprogramming in the human biocomputer. Okay. So this is just kind of his like lab notes of taking LSD.
1: Essentially it's his his big book of uh, LSD observations published in 1972. And it's, um, God it's it's a very interesting book to read. Yeah. It's a difficult book to to read as well. Uh a lot of Louie's writing on this sort of thing um It seems to be a fascinating synthesis of converging disciplines. So he's he's dealing with mysticism and New Age thought. He's also using a lot of computer programming
0: terminology and computer programming metaphors as is evidence in the title. Yeah. And and that goes back to when he was talking about the dolphins at the end of it, too. He said they reprogrammed him. Right.
1: And then there's a lot of psychoanalysis in there as well. Like any discipline he's picked up, any technology he's picked up, yeah. it goes uh, into this writing. And at times there's almost a stream of consciousness quality to the writings. Yeah. As if all th- all three of these interpretive systems are working at the same time in different ways. And Lily is just sharing his thoughts in real time. And this can be at times alluring. It can be. Rather alienating. Uh, there are portions of, uh, programming the human computer that, that read like the stuffiest trip guide you could possibly imagine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can sort of imagine, especially because, right, like he was beholden to no one. He's just kind of writing. Yeah. I mean, if it was present day, he'd be publishing Kindle ebooks books or something yeah. like that, right? But like, isn't there still like a trust or something like that that manages his, manages? Manages his publishing endeavors? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, all, all his books are still out there uh, in one form or another. Um,
1: but, you know, even though at times they're stuffy, there are other times where it does just read like pure um, – psychonaut po- uh, poetry you know yeah. he's uh, yeah. he he's he's taking all of this uh, these tools and he's trying to you know figure out what the self is what consciousness is what are the limits of consciousness uh and yeah at times it's beautiful and at times it's it's very difficult and alienating
0: and so this gets us into the the lily phase that i have the hardest time identifying with up until this point i'm on board you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in what he's doing. I'm interested in his findings, even when it comes to like, you know, uh, uh, masturbating a dolphin and taking LSD to try to t- telepathically communicate with them. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. But then we get into, uh, I guess it's the Echo phase. This is where, it, by the way, like connected to the Echo, the dolphin video game. It's not Echo E C H O. It's E C C O because it's an acronym. Oh, yes. Earth Coincidence Control Office. Yeah. So, yeah, this ends
1: up coming uh, about uh, in, in the 70s, really. But you see the um, the roots of it uh, back as far as 1962. OK, Um because with his counterculture celebrity status, he attracted a lot of peers, followers, hangers-on, uh, from all corners, including, uh, some of the day's most brilliant free-thinking minds, such as a young Carl Sagan, for instance. Interesting. Okay. And by 62, he'd organized the Order of the Dolphin and served as Grand Dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's important to note that this was, I kind of think of this as kind of like, um uh, it's kind of like a tool album. It's, it's serious, but it's also not that serious. Yeah, there's it feels a, like
0: performance art to yeah, me.
1: Yeah, there's a certain amount of performance art. There's a certain amount of goofery, but then there are also some serious undertones as well. Mm-hmm. So this involves, uh, astrophysicists, radio astronomers, atmospheric chemists, computer engineers, um, and, uh, they even apparently have special
0: Special uh, pins that they would uh, wear. Oh man, can you imagine if we could get a hold of some of those pins? That would probably go for a pretty penny on eBay. Yeah, someone will (laughs) sell one to me. (laughs) Or one of his hats. One of his
1: coonskin hats. Yeah, it was apparently a little engraved dolphin. Eventually, a lot of his more sci-fi oriented ideas come out of this period as well.
0: Yeah, Uh, and again, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Lily actually believed this stuff. Right. I think it's, we need to cover it in order to sort of get the full Lily picture here. Right. But I, I get the feeling that this is sort of him, like yeah performance art maybe creating like living metaphors in order to somehow communicate his ideas out to people right like the more absurd and spectacular the idea the more attention it's possibly going to get
1: yeah i mean a, a literal interpretation of some of these things we're talking about here of his later ideas and writing it 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 seems a bit too uh simple for such a complex individual especially when we look to what lily himself wrote about his early writings in particular in uh The 1972 uh, forward to a a reprint of programming and metaprogramming in the the human biocomputer, he said, I had written the report in such a way that its basic messages were hidden behind a heavy, long introduction designed to stop the casual reader. Apparently, once word got out, this device no longer stalled the interested readers. Somehow, the basic messages were important enough to enough readers so that the work acquired an unexpected uh viability. So he's all yeah. he's already talking at that stage about a kind of coded nature to his work mm-hmm. that uh that he's hiding ideas that he's uh, and that he's layering these ideas. So it seems yeah, in light of that it seems a bit uh counterintuitive to say that for instance when he's talking about the threat of a um solid state intelligence yeah. uh, that he's le- speaking literally.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have to remember you back up like this is a guy whose whole purpose in life was uh, human consciousness and uh, connecting human consciousness to other consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. Right. And language, he's fully aware that language is the best way that we're doing that now. And the ways to manipulate it in order to sort of best I guess it, it, you could almost look at it as a like tool of rhetoric, right? Yeah. In order for him to get his ideas across, but yeah, let's back up with like the solid state uh, and the echo stuff. So this is this is pretty out there. Like he posits that there's like an alien intelligence that's kind of in control of everything, right? Yeah, this is where we we get into that um uh into this
1: idea that there's a hierarchy of uh, coincidence control offices at the earth level, solar level, galactic and cosmic. So again, that's where we get down to echo, right? Yeah. Earth coincidence control offices. And these are essentially serving the same purpose of God as a controlling intelligence in the universe. So this is yeah. Really, this is Lily turning to to notions of spirituality, mm. Lily thinking about God and putting his own spin
0: on what God would be in his worldview. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that far off from like other, I'm thinking like Philip K. Dick for yeah, instance, definitely. Like, like he's uh, writing around the same period of time. So it's not that far off. I, I, I can imagine that Lily would maybe pick up something like Valis and yeah. be like, okay, maybe this is a cool idea for me to get my ideas of consciousness across now that the Navy's pulled my funding. Yeah, he also,
1: um, uh, as I alluded to earlier, he prophesied a future conflict between organic intelligence and machine intelligence, yeah. and, which he referred to as the solid state intelligence or SSI. So specifically, he said this would be a conflict over ideal environmental conditions for either humans or or the sort of SSI created bioforms that crave cold and vacuums. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the, the, then along this period of time too is when he envisions what I was telling you about earlier, which I thought was where the apartment thing was going. Mm-hmm. But he called it the Future Communications Laboratory, and he called it a floating living room. Uh and the idea was that this is where humans and dolphins would come to connect. So I'm I'm imagining something like along the lines of like a SeaWorld type thing that's less uh imprisoning to the dolphins, right? Where the dolphins can kind of come up and interact with human beings. Uh, And, and so that, that idea is like along those same lines, I guess. But we have to remember too, like 1972, the same time he's, he's, he's getting into this real weird stuff. Lily's pivotal to establishing the Marine Mammal Protection Act within the United States government. Uh, You know, I mean, he's, Grounded. He's actually affecting change in, in, in how human beings are connecting with dolphins. But he's also, you know, experimenting with some of this other stuff. Yeah, I have to say, just like backing up and looking at the big picture here, I think he was having a laugh. You know, or or, or, or or maybe just trying to use um, some really out there ideas in order to draw attention to his more grounded philosophy.
1: Yeah, he's more of a, a mystical philosopher, dreamer, and to a certain extent, trickster. You can't wear a coonskin ha- cap like right. that and, and expect to be taken 100 percent seriously. You're kind of winking at the audience at that point. But uh, but to your point, yeah, he. He was a was a, a major uh, proponent of uh, of not only the, the the intelligence and value of dolphins, but their and whales, but their their rights as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he believed that killing whales and dolphins was as immoral as killing other human beings, and they should be protected by law and humans should understand them as sentient beings. This is one of the big quotes that I saw pop up from him over and over and over again about dolphins. He said they are not someone to kill, but someone to learn from. And I think you see that in a at least we're not quite there yet, obviously. But I mean, like, think of all of the protests over the last couple decades about like dolphins getting killed in tuna traps. Right. Like that kind of uh, thought about dolphins would not have been possible without Lily. Indeed. So
1: there you have it. John C. Lilly, hopefully a, a much more complete picture of the man and his work, his seriousness, his madness, his, uh, his, his imagination and his just, you know, intense hyper focused intellect. Um, certainly more so than we've been able to, to do in previous episodes.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I would love to hear from people out there who have maybe, Got some because it seems like there's just such a wide array of resources about Lily. Is there something that we missed here or is there more to the story? Maybe, you know, something about echo that we don't know. Maybe you've been in touch with the solid state intelligence. Uh, you, you know, you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr. We're on all those platforms. And of course, the best way to get in touch with us is directly at our email address, which is blow the mind at how stuff works. Dot com now most of you are used to the show ending right there we usually end it right after dot com but we're going to end a little differently today right robert you found a particular gem that we're going to add to the episode
1: that's right we're going to close it out with the art department track the agent off of the 2014 album natural selection from number 19 music there uh, NO19 music on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is a really cool track and it includes samples from John C. Lilly's lecture, Through the Center of the Mandala.
0: One problem in human existence is the tendency to repeat. Repeat, 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 repeat A looping cycle. Is it this one is controlled?